Welcome to Psyche Magic, a podcast about waking up to the subconscious via our nocturnal dreams. I'm your host, Jordan Hale. I'm a psychotherapist based in Nashville, Tennessee. Together, we'll learn to befriend the unknown and her deep well of wisdom. While aspects of this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is never meant to take the place of therapy. Welcome back to Psyche Magic. How's it going? Wherever you are in the world, I wish you peace, insight, and connection. And I hope this episode can bring you a small dose of each. I'm feeling pulled to do an intro where I speak to my listeners directly and ask you, humbly and earnestly, if you're willing to speak back. I see you listening, my quiet church mice, episode after episode, and I'm so thrilled you're here and that you keep coming back. But I also would love to invite you now to reach out and interact in any way that feels comfortable to you, big or small. You can drop me a line via email, psychemagicpodcast at gmail.com. You can DM me on Instagram or TikTok at psyche underscore magic. You can leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can fill out the short poll at the end of this episode if you're a Spotify listener. And if you're a Patreon member, you get first dibs on groups I'll be running later this year to track and discuss our dreams together, which I'm really excited about. But that's for later. This is the slow season for me. And right now, I just want to get to know you to hear what's working for you about the show, what you're enjoying and taking away, what you want more of, less of. So please take a moment when you can and do reach out. It would mean the world to me. As I mentioned, I'm having a very slow January, deliberately taking things off my plate as much as possible, and I can actually feel my nervous system thanking me. I wanted to share with you all that I am recommitting to some long abandoned creative practices. The main focus of this for me right now has been to start tinkering again on my Yamaha keyboard I purchased probably close to 10 years ago, a version of the same one I had as a kid. I've tried multiple times to force myself to sit down and complete YouTube tutorials, attempting to learn in the same structured way I've applied to my academic studies. And surprise to no one, it has never stuck. Hello, newly diagnosed ADHD. So instead of the usual self-flagellation routine, I finally asked myself, based on what I've learned about my brain, what about this method isn't working for me? My inner child practically screamed, too much work, not enough fun. So I took that seriously and tried a different approach. I absolutely love to sing and always have, and my goal is not to become a concert pianist. All I really want right now is to have just enough skill on the piano to provide simple musical accompaniment to sing along to. I am a mimic by nature, so listening to my favorite recordings over and over inevitably leads to me copying my favorite singers instead of attempting to find my own expression within my favorite songs. So what I found is the more I let go and let myself actually play in every sense of the word, and often very badly, the more I discover the spontaneity and excitement that I never expected to find and certainly couldn't access during more traditional lessons where I was too focused on getting it right. Simply learning the basic formula for building major and minor chords has been the magic key that opened up a world of possibility. And I am loving it. I'll sit down, noodle around a little, find a loop of melody that makes my brain happy and tingly, play it over and over. And the next thing I know, an hour has gone by like that. 
I read the book The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron several years ago when I was going through a major transition, having just finished grad school and starting to get my training hours to become a therapist. Her techniques of morning pages, essentially three pages of free association writing first thing in the morning, and artist dates, inner child-friendly outings of a creative theme, such as visiting a museum, were excellent tools to add to my unrequited artist's arsenal. But I had a hard time taking my creativity seriously enough to make these kinds of consistent, very adult commitments. What I've always needed, and am just now realizing, is permission to make bad art, to bang around on the piano and make terrible sounds until I make a nice one. This brings me to my guest, Amy Gartenberg, a dear friend, psychotherapist, and coach who I interviewed back in December about this very subject. Looking back, my conversation with her was an integral catalyst for this current creative breath of fresh air. She is someone who has walked this same path relentlessly in her own life and has helped her clients do the same. To create is to integrate, to bring the myriad parts of ourselves together into harmony. To create is to be present to our aliveness. And isn't that a lovely part of why we're here? I'm beginning to remember this and to live into it for the first time in a long time. I hope you enjoy our conversation and that it inspires you as it has me. All right, Amy Gartenberg, welcome to Psyche Magic. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I am so excited that you're here, Amy. You know I'm a fan. You know that I love like just diving in and kind of like plumbing the depths with you. So I'm excited we get to do this. Yes, absolutely. This is awesome. Yay. Background for the listeners. Amy and I have known each other for a while. We didn't work together directly, but we worked at the same school and we shared lots of colleagues and mutual acquaintances and stories. So yeah, we've got some history. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this is just like us getting coffee, but being recorded. (laughs) 100%. That's how I like to think about it. I'm like, we're just having a conversation. Uh, People can listen to it if they're interested, but it's really for us. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Takes the pressure off a little bit, you know? Yeah. Okay. So let's dive in. Let's do our tarot moment. Now, Amy, are you a tarot? Are you tarot kind of person? Like, are you, do you like tarot? Do you ever practice tarot? I would say I'm a dabbler Mm -hmm. of tarot. Mm -hmm. I love when other people kind of bring it to the party or, you know, have like have a deck to play with. Right. There was a time in my life when I did have a deck, but I don't anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's like one of those things like, ooh, fun, exciting. Yeah. It just brings that little like, ooh, like, yeah, I agree. And you use the word play. And I feel like that's such a fun way to think about it. I think it can help to take away some of the historic association with like fortune telling and like bestowing something upon you. And it's like, no, actually, these are just really rich images that we can just play with and just be mm-hmm. curious about. And it's so yeah. much more fun that way. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Oh, okay. So let's play. So I did a little shuffle. And as I shuffle, I always just set the intention of just uh, looking for a card that can give us a little bit of guidance, a little bit of insight for our conversation, just something that we can pay attention to along the way as we let the conversation unfold. So here's what we got. I'm going to show you the card. Ooh, King so we of got, Wands. Yes, King yeah. of Wands. So you take that in and I will just describe it a little bit for the listeners, for those who aren't able to conjure that image in their minds. So when we look at this card, 
we see a king on his throne. He's in a profile view and he's wearing a really regal robe and cape. The colors are all very warm colors like oranges and greens and yellows, very bright, very vibrant. Um, On his throne are images of salamanders and lions. And there's even a little salamander actually right next to him, kind of like standing right beside him on his throne. The landscape is very arid and desert and dry. There's not a lot of greenery. It's just this kind of like vast sky. And then you see kind of like a sandy background. And then he's holding the wand, which is the main suit of this card. So Amy, when you look at this card, what happens for you? Like, what do you notice? What jumps out at you? Gosh, I mean... I think at first, maybe just cognitively, I was like, okay, it's a king. It's like like standing in your power. But um, what really struck me most about it is that you don't see his face. It's his profile, which I think is really interesting. And it made me think it feels more about having the access to this power and not quite claiming it. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, there's something about it that is maybe not so direct or like not so obvious perhaps Mm -hmm. because a lot of the court cards are like head on in terms of just the like vantage point. So yeah, I think it's really cool that you honed in that there's something about like the profile view here. So just for the listeners in terms of like background of the, of the cards and of the suits, at least what we typically think of when we look at a court card is that the King represents someone who is working towards mastery. Okay. So like in the earlier suits, there are pages and those are usually associated with just beginners, like someone who are just starting out on like a path and Kings are someone who have really forged a path and learned a lot and kind of arrived in this place where they're ready to sort of take on some authority. And the wands in general are a suit that tend to have to do with the spiritual realm, like the creative realm. The element of fire is associated with wands. And so that's that's just all about like creativity, spark, action. So yeah, as you sit with those symbols, I wonder if there's anything, anything sort of like bubbling up or anything else that's interesting about that to you. Mm. Yeah, it feels hearing you say that it feels um really action oriented. Like yeah. kind of if I think about it from that idea of mastery, it's like, okay, like you've collected a lot of tools. Like, especially as I think about my own personal creativity, it's like, okay, you've like taken a lot of courses, collected a lot of tools. Like now you gotta do the damn thing. Nice. <laughs> oh my God. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Like that's actually very king energy of like, it's time for action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Cool. So I, like, I like that a lot. I like hearing what all the symbolism means. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah, me too. I have to say, like, I do this too, but I feel like a lot of people see court cards and like, don't really know what to do with it. Like, it's like, oh, is this supposed to be like a person like in my life? I've heard a lot of people say things like that. And mm-hmm. I, I think that you can read it that way if it strikes you that way. But I think Also, it's important to think about the parts of ourselves, right? The part of me that may be ready to access some more of this Mm king-like energy um, Mm -hmm. and what that might feel like. So I think that's Mm -hmm. fun. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Anything else you want to just add or say about that? You don't have to, but just curious. No, I mean, I think I expected it to make me feel one way because it was a king. But when I really took the imagery, I felt a very different way about it. Cool. Oh, that's fun. (laughs) We love that. Okay. So I will keep him like here on my desk. I like to just kind of like prop him up as we're talking. And then if there's any kind of moments where I feel like we need to invoke him again, I'll like keep him in mind. So it's always fun. Great. Yay. All right. So let's get into your dreams, Amy. So, okay. You presented some really interesting themes to me. So I would love it if you could just share a little bit about whether you want to share one of these dreams specifically, but you shared with me that dreams of basements and like specifically forgotten rooms or areas of a house is a theme for you. So please tell us more about that. I think a lot of listeners are going to resonate. Like I think that's actually pretty common. So please talk about that a little more. Yeah. So, um, 
the dream specifically that I shared with you was about my childhood home that I grew up in. Yeah. I dream about that house a lot. And there's usually a theme of going into the house and the house being very different than how I grew up in it. Like someone has come in and totally renovated it. Yeah. And so that was true in this dream. So I think I went with one of my sisters and my dad and we kind of broken in and while the current owner wasn't there and we were looking at everything and there's always kind of this sadness when I'm in that house and it looks different because there's this desire that I'm going to see things from when I grew up and it's going to make me remember things or make me feel a certain way. Like it's going to give me some kind of closure. I think Mm. I go into the house in the dream looking for closure and I go in and everything's different. So I can't access that. And so then in this dream, I was like kind of then wandering off on my own. I went down to our basement and growing up in real life, growing up, we had a finished basement that my sisters and I would hang out and play in a lot. So I go down to this basement and it's a different basement, but I just kind of start exploring and I peel back the carpet on the floor. And when I peel back the carpet, it's this glass ceiling that's looking down into my basement as I remember it from when I was growing up and everything is there and like totally preserved exactly how it was. And I just start crying and I just like, I can feel it very viscerally of, um, I can't believe it's all still here. Mm. And I can see like our dress up box and the beanbag chairs that we hung out in and all this stuff. And I call my dad down to look at it too. Um, we're just kind of looking at it and yeah that that's kind of the basis of that dream yeah. um and in general I, I just dream i dream about basements and i dream about lost abandoned forgotten rooms quite often mm-hmm. there's a lot that i want to say about this dream and there's several different symbols that i think we could go into a little bit more deeply but i think first i'm actually struck by like I think you mentioned this too, um, when you were talking about the dream, but like, there's this like really strong emotion that happens like in the moment, right? Like while you're in the dream, you're having these very strong feelings. And so that's interesting to me too, because there's, I don't know, in every dream, we don't necessarily like emote so strongly, you know? So I don't know. There's something about that to me about like the emotion that's coming out and that's so like real and on the surface and just right there. These dreams are about like hidden or obscured rooms, but like your perspective in these dreams is actually very like earnest and like honest and like very raw. So yeah, I wonder like the feeling that you have in the dream, does that tend to match the feeling that you have when you wake up? From the dream like is that consistent i'm just curious mm, yeah like i feel it um when i wake up i usually feel that same emotion like very heavy in my chest mm-hmm. with that emotion for yeah. sure yeah so okay so then this dream is pointing you towards a feeling that is already there and very accessible right and it's really cool because like when you talk about a basement and I mean, obviously in your real life, that was a very special kind of significant like play space, right? Like it's like subterranean. I can be myself there as a kid. Like I can just get into my own world and like be very authentic. But then what's cool about this dream is that there's a basement and then there's even another basement. Like there's even a layer deeper, right? There's another subterranean space. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm throwing these things out there and I'm curious as I'm talking, if anything's happening for you or if anything is coming up. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think to me that rooms and houses tend to represent like parts of my psyche and, you know, you know, parts of myself and my identity yeah. um, and when, when I dream of those things. And so when I dream of forgotten rooms um, in general, it feels like this part of me, 
like a part, a part of myself that I've been abandoned or that has been exiled in Makes some sense. way. Yes. Um, and you know, what's interesting is like, I was sharing this with you earlier that when I first started having rooms about, or sorry, dreams about abandoned rooms, yeah, they would always be like, so nasty like the like the room itself not the whole dream like the the room <laughs> would be like un, like unlivable like just oh, like right really like just dirty. in really poor condition like yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly like totally just neglected and yes like not good um and then as my self-identity has progressed and like I've come more into myself when I dream of those spaces they are like they tend to be cleaner um, or like more livable, which I've always thought is really interesting. Yeah. I'm like getting excited now. Okay. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm excited for two reasons. One is that you're talking about parts and you're talking about the self and you're talking about some of the like IFS stuff, but you know, I'm super into. So that's great. And then you're also talking about what I would consider to be kind of a very visceral illustration of the shadow. So like when I have parts that I'm neglecting or that I'm even rejecting, right? That is my shadow. Like, and it makes sense that that would show up as this like really like nasty, messy, right? It's like the things that make me go, ugh. like, I don't want to look at that. Right. I don't want to live there. I don't want to be there. But as you've done the hard emotional work of looking at some of those things and facing your shadow a little bit more, integrating your shadow a little bit more, but the dream shifts and those spaces aren't so scary and nasty anymore. Like that's incredible. <laughs> right. I know. It's like so cool. That's wild <laughs> that your dream is showing you that in such a clear, palpable way. Like mm-hmm. I, that like blows my mind. Yeah, I know. Like, I think it's cool to be able to see progress in a dream like that. It's like one of the coolest things to me about dreaming is that you can see like the work that you're doing or the work that like you know, I've done in my life. It It's having an effect, like even on that level. I think I've tried to maybe apply that kind of thought to the basement dream, you yeah. know, like, like how does this show different parts of me? And I just think like in my waking life, I have this desire that like, if I could go back to my childhood home, I would get some sort of answer about something. And I feel like that dream's trying to tell me that that might not necessarily be true. And like, there's parts of, I don't know, there's something about the basement. I don't know. Analyze it, Jordan. Like there's, It feels like there's something about the basement there that's... Yeah. Um, but like my childhood will always also be a part of me. Yeah. It feels forgotten. Somehow. I was going to say there's an element here, at least the way that it struck me of kind of that essential, but also so painful element of like loss of innocence. Like it's like, I cannot hold and go back to that childlike way of viewing the world ever again. Like I can tap into it. I may build practices around tapping into it, but like, I can't live there the same way that I could. And like, that's a loss for all of us. Like, it's just part of the pain of being human and growing up. Is it like, I don't get to hold on to it in the same way. Like it's impossible. And so you were saying in that dream, it was like, you could see the level, the subterranean level that was preserved in that sort of childlike way. I could see it. I could like wave hello to it, but I can't actually go into that space. Like it's just, it's just not accessible to me. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I really like that. And it makes a lot of sense. I think the reason that I am reading this dream that way, I mean, there's probably a hundred other therapists that would read it a hundred different ways, right? A hundred other humans, therapists or not, who cares? But I think for me, the reason it sticks out is that like, I am someone who really believes in like inner child work and that in my own growth as a human, that's actually been like one of the most important pieces of like my work and my growth and something that I'm always working on. Like I view the inner child as sort of 
the soul or the self. I mean, because we were talking about like those IFS terms, right? So it's like the part of us that is constantly with us and that yet at the same time is constantly changing and just like cannot be um, like pinned down, right? It's too ineffable. It's mm-hmm. not of this world yeah. the way I see it anyway. Yeah. I think about that self energy as like, that's my soul, you know, like that's me too. That's the essence of who I am. Mm -hmm. These other parts are really important to the development of that self. When we were a kid, we got to just be self. We got Mm -hmm. to just be soul for a little while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So maybe in the dream, it's like the looking down onto that, the being able to that and not right not access it yeah I can see it I can I can acknowledge it I can look at it but like man there was a time when I got to just live it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah oh I really love that yeah me too I feel it I'm like (laughs) oh yeah yeah (laughs) I mean for sure and yeah, I, I love IFS work. I use it a lot in my practice yeah. too. And, and, and just in my own work with myself, because it's like when I can come back to that self energy, I feel calm. I feel connected. Right? Like that's who I want. That That's the energy that I want to be living my life from. Right. Yes. It's like trying to go back to that place over and over again. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm trying to return there as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if I could just go back to my childhood home, I would get this big answer to like my self energy, you know, like mm-hmm. who I am. Yeah. Because like, you know, all of the parts and defenses that we've had to develop to try to stay safe, like while those are all very important and I, I mean, they developed because they were necessary. It's also just that reminder of like, man, it's hard. <laughs> like, Mm. it's hard being a human it's so Mm -hmm. hard it's so hard like obviously life circumstances will hand us different things and Mm -hmm. we don't have a lot of control over that but it's just tough (laughs) yeah like it's just tough and like it's just painful (laughs) for sure and I think about because it's so tough those more protective parts or the rooms that seem clean and livable, like accessible. 100%. More palatable, right? Versus like this like basement room that's forgotten or just abandoned rooms in general. It's like, I view those as kind of exiled parts, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I like the idea of, of getting to know those parts more. Yeah, because like, okay, if we really think about it and we think about the things that are reinforced to us in society, right? Like our parts often get reinforced. Like for example, let's say we have a perfectionistic part, which is like such an obvious choice, but I feel like it's useful. So I have a perfectionistic part that developed to try to keep me safe and help the people around me to find me valuable and important and useful. And I guess what? I go through my life. I go through my career, my work. That part gets validated over and over again. Like everyone's really excited Mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if I am letting, I mean, part of my work with this podcast is that I'm trying to let my kind of messy, always learning inner child learn in public, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. learn in front of other people and get excited about things that she's excited about that other people might not like. Like it's hard. Oh, it's so hard. My protective parts are like, what are you doing? Why would you stop? Why would you do that? I mean, even like going on this podcast, I'm like, okay, what dream can I choose? I know. Doesn't make me feel too vulnerable. I know. Right. Yeah. Because it's a protective part like not wanting people to know that oh my gosh gasp like I'm a therapist that doesn't have everything figured out oh yeah heaven heaven forbid (laughs) heaven forbid Uh, and I just I noticed that that part of me pop up more and more that like oh wow I'm really like I think even when I write because I 
loved yes. right it's like i need to write from this place of like oh i have figured this thing out and it's like gosh it's like it's so stifling because there's so much shit i don't know and art is like way more beautiful when it is living in the questions too mm. yes This is a quote by Rainia Maria Rilke, who's a poet and writer. It says, quote, be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given to you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. Unquote. Oh my gosh. That's so dead on. <laughs> you were like channeling that without even like knowing it. Yeah. Like even the locked room part. Uh, <laughs> hello. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like, hi. <laughs> I just even think about like um, really like music in particular. I love listening to lyrics so much because most of the time the song is about like the pain or about not knowing the answer or about an experience without closure. And it's just like, that is, I think it's just the most honest thing rather than trying to come at things from this place of like having it all figured out, whereas not having it figured out is like, that's the human experience. That's that's what's happening. Like, this is art. This is symbol. This is play. Mm -hmm. There's not, yeah, yeah, like, there's not this emphasis on, like, having to have it all figured out. Yeah, exactly. And I just, I really appreciate that. And I think that's why art is so courageous, because you're showing the world, like, here's just something that I feel or I think, and I don't necessarily have the answer. Yeah. And then... Just like that quote right now, it's like you unlock something for someone else who's going through the same thing or who just like needed to hear it, needed to hear that like honesty, that authenticity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. The more that I do this show, the more that I feel the parts of me, like what you were talking about a minute ago, like when you're writing and you sometimes tap into that, it's like a voice that's a little bit more maybe declarative. I don't know. Sometimes for me, I have to battle the part that feels like it needs to say, like, I know what I'm talking about. Like, look at where I've like arrived. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like if I'm making good art, I'm letting that part just like take a break. (laughs) Like do do something else. (laughs) Yeah. I relate to that so much. And I, um, I think personally, it's hard for me to balance that part of myself and the role of being a therapist. Oh man. That therapist part gets very loud. (laughs) Like, well, if you're going to write something, it needs to be from this place of like something you have figured out or the declarative part that you're talking about. And um, that's like really super stifling to the artist in me. Yeah, exactly. Man, I know because the longer I do this work, the more I feel like I'm being a really good therapist when I'm just being really present and I'm not trying to like have an answer or like have a solution. Oh yeah. I'm just like sitting with you in this difficult feeling. Yeah. Right. And I think um, I've really learned like, as I've done this work longer that I can feel that that I don't even know if I want to call it the therapist part, but like, yeah, yeah. This part that comes into session with me sometimes it's like, okay, well, like now you need to have the answer to help them. And it's like, I learning to quiet her. Yeah. I'm like, I see you. I, I understand why you feel like you need to have the answer, but like, you're validating like, her. Yeah. Like validating her and telling her like, she doesn't have to drive the bus. Like really like what's most helpful is just to be and share space. Yeah. In the relationship that we create. 
which is mutual. <laughs> yeah. People don't talk about that enough. Side note, I just watched that documentary Stutz that Jonah Hill made about his therapist. Did you watch it? No, but I was literally just on the phone with someone before we jumped on this that recommended it to me. I thought it was really great. It really illustrated the mutual, like healing nature of their relationship. It was really, really great. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I need to watch it. I want to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's making me actually go back to the King card too, because part of what we're talking about is like leadership. Mm-hmm. It's like when you're in the role of a therapist, like you are in some ways functioning as kind of a guide. And so it's like the best leaders and the best teachers know how to be collaborative and to say, I don't know, sometimes like Mm -hmm. to be authentic. Yeah. I just think there's so much pressure on therapists to always have the answers. Absolutely. That feels even really vulnerable to say. Yes, I agree. And you alluded to it earlier too, when you said that there's also this dynamic where therapists are supposed to be these like very highly evolved humans who like have like figured all their shit out and don't have any like problematic patterns at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I laugh not to dismiss that, but just to say like, gosh, that's such a shame that we've created that idea. Like mm-hmm. that's so harmful to everyone that mm-hmm. we have this idea of like being perfect, mm-hmm. perfectly evolved. Like, no, no. Yeah, I know. That's helpful to no one. <laughs> really at the end of the day, it's helpful to no one. Um And I think it's, again, it's just like really stifling. Yes. You used that word earlier when you were talking about like how it can kind of feel like the antithesis of like creativity, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. the antithesis of like play and discovery. Yeah. Like if you, if you're so focused on coloring inside the lines all the time, right? Like you're never going to be able to expand beyond that. So just, it's really important for me to remind myself that like, I don't always have the answers, whether that be like in a session or in my life, or just like, that is what it means to be human is right. Is to be in this experience, not having the answers to the experience all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Presence, (laughs) like a real presence. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that one. That one is one that's going to stick with me too, for sure. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's really that's great. really cool. Really great. <laughs> okay. I want to see if we can segue a little bit now into your creativity and how that blends into your work. Mm. So I would love it if you could just teach us a little bit about like what ways have you found to practice creativity? Like what are some of your favorite kind of methods? Like what lights you up in that way? I love that question. I love writing. So I'm always working on some piece of fiction. Really? Yeah. And quite honestly, I was thinking about this the other day. I think working on fiction gives me that freedom or gives me that that like manager part of me, the freedom to not have things figured out, right? Because it's like, putting it on a character. So, um, Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, um, I love that. And I'm always working on some piece of fiction and I also, I paint not well, which I just love. Whatever that means. Yeah. By the way, like, by the way. I, I paint because I like the feeling of my brush against a canvas. Like exactly. that, I find that very therapeutic. And that has like dipped into some more mixed media art, which I really love too. And so that's been really expressive to me is being able to paint some kind of background yeah. and then yeah. mixed media. As you're talking about this, you're making physical movements with your hand. Like this is an embodiment practice for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I just, I think I love just painting the backgrounds of things because it is, it's just so much paint on a canvas and that feels really soothing to me. I actually don't know, Amy, that I've studied art like for years. I minored in art history. Like 
I love learning about artists and the way that their brains work, but I don't think I've ever actually heard someone just say like, I paint because I like the feeling of painting, like (laughs) the physical feeling. I think that's so cool. I never thought about it like that. I like the physical feeling. Okay. Yeah. I mean, whatever, like good, bad, like yeah, I whatever. say all the time, like I make bad art because like in my I, mind, I actually love that, <laughs> but it's like, it's just cause I like the feeling of it. I like the expression of it, you know? And yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you're talking about just freedom again. We're talking about that child, like children aren't making art so it can be good. They're doing mm-hmm. it because they like how it feels. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Like, I just like how it feels. And even so far as, um, like, I used to always type when I was working on a piece of fiction in particular. Um, And then I I took some class where they talked about handwriting actually lights up the same part of your brain as if you're reading. And so it kind of puts you more into the readership of what you're creating. So I started doing that more. And I really love that too. Like, I like the feeling of it. And I like the break from the computer. Oh my God. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now are these practices that have been with you for a long time? Yeah. I mean, um, writing in particular, I've always been a writer. I've always been a journaler. Oh Um, yeah. I just, I really, yeah, I've, I've stayed with that. Um, but then the more mixed media art, um, when I was really young, actually my parents, would say like they would have to hide um like old pizza boxes or certain kinds of trash because I would bring it into my creation um and yeah so I did that a lot when I was really young and then I think that's the part that got buried you know like the basement part for a long time that got really buried and Mm -hmm. as I've come into my own more like I painted and made that kind of art more and really, I swear, like, I think it was when I um, like started dating woman came out, like those sorts of things is when I really started making more mixed media art, which I thought was just fascinating. Okay. Yeah. Cause we were talking about locked rooms. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, all right, I've circled back around to this mm-hmm. part of myself and I'm living into that room now. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. here's this like physical representation of that. And something that also has always been with me, but that was forgotten for a little while. Cause I was using that method, even when I was a kid, mm-hmm. it's wild that there was that like direct parallel. Oh yeah. It was super crazy to me. Like I just, I have a theory that is like desire is desire. Things that feel good are things that feel good. And so when you lock away you know, something you desire or you want to pursue, you know, or the type of person you might want to date, right? Those things all kind of get locked away together, I think. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even in the illustrations that we've seen with the dreams is that I these parts are all interconnected. Like that's what we start to learn more and more as we like peel back our layers, the way that these parts all align and mix and yeah blend Mm -hmm. together yeah yeah absolutely affecting one pulling one thread affects the whole system yeah for sure if you want to share you absolutely of course don't have to not that I need to tell you that I you have your own boundaries but if you would like to share um when in your life did that sort of like transition take place of like coming into your queerness like owning that Maybe like 27. So kind of yeah. kind of later in life. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I had been in a relationship with a guy for a long time. Okay. It's hard to even describe the experience of that sort of unraveling of like absolutely. Like this part, right? This queer part being locked away to the point where it's like it couldn't stay locked away. Yeah, you know, and I don't think I knew that at the end of that relationship. I don't think I it was like this has to end because I'm gay. But it was like, gosh, it it felt like this like very a sub a sub basement, right? It was like something absolutely very in there that was affecting the whole foundation. 
Oh my God. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And it's, what's really cool about this, again, it speaks to not having to have it all figured out is that you were kind of following these breadcrumbs of like what feels right and what doesn't, even if you didn't have the full picture yet, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. that's how it happens. Yeah, I know. And like, that is, that's so terrifying, you know? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I've been working with my own therapist on like a different part of myself right now and different part of self-discovery. I remember saying to her, like, I'm like, I don't want to do this if I don't know where this is ending. You know, I'm like, I feel that. We're like, I'm not sure I'm totally invested in this. Like, I don't know how this is going to turn out in the end. Um, It's scary. So scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's an element of like, Cause I, I don't know when I think about my own work, I think about the ways that I have abandoned myself in the past, right. Where it's like, okay, this might not be palatable for other people. So I'm, I'm going to abandon it. And every time we make a different choice and we show up for ourselves, I, it's scary. (laughs) There's Mm -hmm. no, there's no way around it. It's just scary. Oh yeah, for sure. Like even it's scary. And even when something becomes clear of like, this is what I need to do to return to myself or like, oh, this is what's really going on. I've talked to um, my friend and colleague, Danny Hickman, who I've talked to you about. Yes, yes. About this idea of like, okay, well, you can, you can have that moment of knowing and still be like, "Mm, but I'd like to self-abandon, you know, like there's still that like. hundred percent. I'm still not ready. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I know this. And also like self-abandonment feels easier right now. Mm-hmm. I like, I can't, like, I cannot force something that I'm not ready to do either. Like, it's just such a balance. Yeah. But for you, Amy, like just I, the way you describe it, it sounds like that was just a huge turning point on so many levels. And like your system showed you that like through your oh. art, through everything. Oh yeah. And it's like, I, like for me, it goes back to that same place of like desire is desire because I yeah. think I was only able to get there because like I healed, like, you know, I had a messed up relationship with food and I had like begun healing yeah. that. Again, the way these things go together. Yes, exactly. That was a breadcrumb like of desire and wanting and yes. creativity. And I just think you you never know where something is going to lead. And gosh, I'm so happy I followed those breadcrumbs. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then like when I sit with you, I know that I'm sitting with someone, I feel energetically that I'm sitting with someone who's done some hard work on themselves and like has arrived in this very authentic place. Like I feel safe with you because I feel your authentic energy. Like, Mm -hmm. and I know that your clients feel it too. They must, it's, it's Mm -hmm. so palpable. So it's a big part of why I just, I love being around you. So Thank you. You're awesome. Jordan, that just touches my heart so much. Good. Thank you. Really. And, you know, I feel that from you too, that just like, I know I can be myself. Um, Good. I know that like anything I say is going to be met with love. And I so appreciate that. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, sometimes I say like, I don't know if you do this too, but for me, it's helpful if I'm having a rough day and I know it's going to be hard to show up as like a good quote unquote, good therapist. Mm -hmm. I'll remind myself like, you know what, if I can be a safe person and if that's all I accomplish during this like hour, then like, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. You know? Oh yeah. I mean, I remember um, talking to another therapist around like a few years ago about, you know, like the the stress that comes with the early stages of our job of like, am I doing a good job? Am I doing a good job? And am I helping them oh, yeah. enough? And I remember learning in, at grad, in grad school at some point, like a study that had been done where there were a bunch of different therapists and then the clients got to like analyze the ones that they thought were the most helpful. And Oof. the one that was the most helpful was actually like a housewife that had no formal training and then just been like, had an, like an extra session about how to listen empathetically. Uh-huh. And it was just like at that time I found it so comforting of like okay, like I I can do this by by showing up and and trusting what's happening. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like in a lot of ways, this is really about just like two humans being able to share space together. Yeah. 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 And that's not to like, I don't mean at all to like dismiss formal training or like that. And it's very important. Not at all. Right. No. Also like there needs to be the foundation of like, yeah, that this is about two humans, like sharing a space and the relationship between them. Exactly. Like for me, like you said, that's the foundation I keep having to come back to. That's the touch point. And then all the formal training is also to help me know what to do in sort of special circumstances. Maybe there's a crisis. Maybe there's something that pops up that needs a certain kind of discernment. And so then I have that to fall back on, right? Like there's so many layers. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay. There's some great quote. I'm sure there's many, but there's some great, great quote about like, if a plant was struggling, like you give the plant like water and sunlight or something like you don't like anal- immediately analyze like what food is best. Like you give it like, right? Like you give it yeah. water and sunlight and, you know, so. Yeah, it's, I mean, it makes so much sense. You just, you start at like the bottom layer of the hierarchy of needs. Like you attend to the most basic needs yeah. first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. I would love to hear just a little bit more about your work, Amy. So I know that after people listen to this conversation, they're going to want to look you up and learn more about what you do. So please just share a little bit more about your roles. I know that you have both roles as therapist and coach, and I would love it if you could just teach us a little bit more about your practice and sort of how you see those, um, those differences and who you like to work with. Yeah. My therapy practice, it's in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, So I see clients both in person and via telehealth. And I love working with, you know, the LGBTQ population. I love working with folks on just self-exploration and creativity. And um, yeah, and I also do work in body image and disordered eating. Mm -hmm. So that's a bit more about um, my therapy practice. And then coaching is, I will say it's, it's transformed. I used to just do um, body image coaching, um, which was really nourishing for some time. And then it kind of moved more into helping people break rules that, you know, they, they have set up for themselves. I, yeah. So, and like, that's been really enjoyable and awesome too. Coaching tends to be more present and future oriented. So we're not doing as much digging into past traumas. However, like I'm trained as a psychotherapist. So the, right, like our past and our inner children are going to always affect what's happening. So there is some of that. There's not as much of a focus on that. And, you know, it's also when someone is not in those crisis moments that we talked about, right? When like they might be working with a different therapist perhaps, or they're in the space where they feel pretty stable with their mental health and they want to work on some of these things to help move their life forward. Absolutely. You're right. It's just a, there's sort of a difference of intention. It -hmm. sounds like where it's like, you know what, I need to work on some actual tangible skills for where I want to go. Like I need to keep the train running forward. Like, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people, like, sometimes people come to me and they're like, I'm not sure if I want to do coaching or if I want to do therapy. And like, I just tell, you know, as long as I feel like that, I don't have concerns about that person doing coaching in terms of where their mental health is. Yeah. um, to trust themselves in that, you know, like, you know, where you need to go, you know, what kind of support is going to be best for you. I think that's really important. Like, that's like, right. Like that's the nature of the work that I do is I want people to trust themselves. And so I encourage them to trust themselves in that decision. Yes. And that goes back to what we were saying earlier, because again, if I'm a leader, if I am a, you know, quote unquote king, like I am empowering you. Mm-hmm. I am not in absolute power here. Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. actually really dangerous. So mm-hmm. yeah. About always sort right. of directing that back, like helping them trust themselves. Yeah, exactly. Like um, I had a mentor teach me that once of like the, the essence of what we're doing is helping people trust themselves, right? Like that they have autonomy in their own lives. 
And so to make a decision, like which therapist is best for me, which coach is best for me, do I want therapy or coaching? Like those sorts of things, like, please trust your instinct on that. And what a beautiful first step to following those breadcrumbs. Yes, absolutely. I really love that you're able to hold both of these roles with so much like nuance and understand that like, yeah, of course they will blend sometimes, but it's really beautiful that you're able to have that just uh, like in your practice, there's variety. Like it's, it's lovely. Thank you. My coaching page is getting a bit of a makeover right now. So if someone wants to do coaching, if they listen to this, they want to do coaching, they go to my website. They don't see the coaching page. Just um, there's a contact form and just mention it in there. And exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. (laughs) Discuss. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay. It's just been such a great conversation. Like, I feel like we've gone on this like journey together. I want listeners to be able to understand like what you do and what you're all about. And I do feel like that we've accomplished that. I don't know. I guess I wonder if maybe you could share with us. I don't know why I feel this right now, but I wonder if you could share with us, like maybe like what you're excited about or like what's lighting you up. Like, what are you looking forward to in like in your work and in your development? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. So in my work, something that's really lighting me up right now is I'm in the process of developing a space for people in caretaker roles. So other therapists and coaches and nurses and doctors and anyone in any sort of caretaking role. Yeah. Just as a place to be held, you know, a lot of what we we talked about in here and, and just that, that freedom to be human. So I'm really excited about that in terms of my work. That's amazing. Wait, now, so is that going to be like kind of a group or like, how do you envision it? Yeah, it's going to be a group to start as a group and then we'll see where it goes, but it's going to be a group for the new year. So I'm really excited for that. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I'm like, I might need to look into this. This is amazing. Yeah. Yes, please, please. Super cool. So that's something that's really exciting for me and my work right now. And then I'm getting married in May. Yes. Yes, you are. (laughs) I know I knew that one, but the listeners did it. (laughs) Congratulations, Amy. Thank you. Thank you. So huge. I'm really excited. And (sighs) yeah, I think I've been riding that high in some sort since we got engaged. So I'm just excited. As you should. Like, yes, you should be soaking up every minute. And I'm so excited for you. Thank you. I'm really excited. Yay. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. I feel like that's a really nice little note to leave it on. Amy, thank you so, so much for being open Mm -hmm. to doing this. I took so much away from this conversation. Like I know other people will too. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much for inviting me. And I just love the time we spend together. It always flies by so fast. Thank you. Thank you for your kind words. I feel the exact, you know, I feel the exact same way. I always tell you that. I'm always like, oh, where did that time go? Let's get more. (laughs) We'll go to an estate sale soon, Amy. Oh, yes. Okay. Wait, I can't wait. I've been thinking about it. That could be our next hang. (laughs) Yeah, that'll be great. Um, Okay. So very last thing, just please tell listeners where they can find you so you can list like where they can find you online and just how can they follow along with your work? Yeah. So um, my website is just my full name, amygardenberg.com. And then um, I'm on Instagram at amygardenberg. Fabulous. We'll link to all of that in the show notes as well. Amy, you rock. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jordan. That's a wrap for this episode. Thank you again to my guest, Amy Gartenberg. I wish you joy and delight in all your creative endeavors. May they continue to grow and take flight bird by bird. If you believe in this work and want to support the continuation of our show, please join us on Patreon. There we are building a community where you'll find bonus dream work exercises, guided meditations, fun minisodes, and so much more. You can find that at patreon.com backslash psyche magic. The link is in show notes. Don't forget, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, you'll be automatically entered into a monthly contest to win a free shadow work tarot session with yours truly. 
Even if all you can muster is a quick rating wherever you get your podcasts, we greatly appreciate it. It truly makes a difference and helps other people find the show. Do you have questions or a dream you want to share? Please drop me an email at psychemagicpodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave me a voicemail via the link in show notes. I'd love to hear from you and you could be featured on a future episode. You can also follow us on Instagram and TikTok, my favorite, at psyche underscore magic. Also check out my Psyche Magic playlist on Spotify. The link is in show notes. Psyche Magic was produced, written, and recorded by me, Jordan Hale. Editing for this episode is by Masuzu Inaga. Our theme music is by Young Summer. Artwork is by Annika Murphy. Special thanks go to Daniel Higby, Michael McMillan, and Grace Fuse. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, psychemagicpodcast.com. Psyche Magic is available via Anchor across all podcasting platforms. Thank you so much for listening. I'll leave you with a question. If you must sleep through a third of your life, are you willing to sleep through your dreams too? Get your dream journals out, y'all. Until next time.